Well, good morning, everyone. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, my name's Pastor Jared. Many of you know me. It's been a while since I've been here, uh, but I was a lead pastor here for 13 years. The last six months, I've been over at the West Haven campus as their lead pastor, and I got to tell you, I love it. Um, there was that little gap between Layton and, and West Haven where I had this central role, but I got to tell you, my heart is with the campuses and the volunteers and the people within the campuses, so I don't know what that means for the future. I'm just sharing. I love being with you guys. It's like a homecoming coming back here to the, the Layton campus, and I'm great to be here with you. And we are in chapter two within a mini-series of going through the Gospel of Mark, and here's what we're calling chapter two, Challenging Religion. And in this series, we encourage people to check out a small group to allow the conversation just to go beyond Sunday mornings. Now, I am going to get a little interactive today because usually we don't ask for a response from the audience, but that's coming. But when I say go beyond Sunday morning, I think for so many people, they've had this, this, this scenario where maybe religion didn't always work out for them, depending on the religion they were a part of or the leaders that are over that religion. There's a lot that goes on, and religion means many different things to many different people. And so in week one, we just talked about that, that religion is just living out a relationship with God and one another in real space. And so a lot of times that's really challenging, depending on what church or what affiliation you are with what religion. And I think for many people, this is kind of a, a great conversation to have. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus came to fix that. That man, where man has taken religion at times, Jesus has come in chapter 2. Yes, he's challenging people, but today he's going to be challenged. There's going to be the onlookers. It's the they in, in the scripture. When, before we get there, we're going to talk about some of this. But they're looking at Jesus and going, Jesus, you're just not doing it right. Just think about that for a second. God in the flesh, and people are saying, Jesus, there's something wrong in, in what you're doing. And that takes boldness, let me tell you. But before we get there, I want you to think of these religious acts. Another way to define that is the spiritual disciplines. And these are the things that you do, whether it's at home, whether it's here at the service. So let me just give you some help because I don't want you to feel like, well, what does that mean? Because I don't know if I'm doing any of those and we haven't even gotten started and I'm already feeling like a failure within my religion. No, let me just put you at ease. Spiritual disciplines are reading your Bible it's prayer. It's what we're doing right now. This is a part of spiritual disciplines. It's called the, the connection part, whether it's here in a service and God does want us to come and worship and praise him and, and go through God's word, but also small group structure throughout the week. That's also a spiritual discipline. We're going to be looking at fasting today. That's a spiritual discipline. Next week, we're going to wrap up uh, chapter two, looking at the Sabbath. And so I just kind of want you to think about the religious activities that you are a part of, because that's what Jesus is going to get challenged with. And really, what Jesus wants us to understand is this, and this is kind of the title of today's message, it's the heart that is behind all religion, which makes it either honoring to God or distance from God, because there are toxic religions that are out there, and it's because they have the wrong heart. And if you know anything about Jesus, he's always challenging the heart, the heart of why we do things. And the heart is where we keep our most prized possessions, our innermost feelings. So the heart is what leads us, and God knows this. And so today, he's going to challenge our hearts. And here's the three things we're going to look at as we look at the heart 
We're going to look at the religion police. We're going to be looking at the wedding feast. And we're going to be looking at new wineskins. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 22 is where we're going to really camp and spend most of our time. Then I have one verse at the end from Galatians. And so let's just jump into this. Here's Mark 2.18. Here is where Jesus gets challenged. Take a listen. It says, Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked this question. Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? And so you can see right now Jesus is getting critiqued. He's getting critiqued about doing something. And the, and the they's in the group are these people who have seen how John's disciples fast, and they see how the Pharisees fast, and they're saying, Jesus, there's something wrong with the way you do religion. There's something wrong with you, because you don't look as religious as these two groups, John's disciples and the Pharisees. So let's just go back to the Old Testament real quick. There's only one place in Scripture where God tells people to fast, and it's in the book of Leviticus. It was on the Day of Atonement. And what God was instructing the Israelites to do is take that day, fast, deny yourself, and this would be food at this time, but really it's just, you can de- deny yourself of many different things as you fast. But it was challenging to them because they, wanted to, they needed to focus on their sin. And they had a day of atonement where God isolated this day where they would fast and they would bring their sins to God. But we also see in the same kind of manner Last year in our Jonah series, we saw a whole city fast. Jonah had this message, and it took a little while for God to get Jonah's attention to go give this message to the Ninevites, but eventually Jonah did. And he says, you're, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be destroyed because of your rebellious ways. And the king heard that, and he said, here's what we're going to do. Everybody in the city is going to fast. And again, it was over their sin, over their rebellious ways. Now, fast forward to the end of that. God had grace and mercy on them. And he did not destroy the city of Nineveh. We see in chapter 1, when we started off the series, that Jesus himself fasted. He's starting his ministry. He knew the pain and anguish that he was going to experience, what he needed to do. And he spent 40 days fasting, being connected to the Father and the Spirit, and just fasting for what he was about to do. So again, yes, we can fast about our sin, but if We have something big in life, something challenging in life. It's good to fast. And so we see this this religion police now. They're coming at Jesus. But what man has done, the Pharisees, is the Pharisees at at this time, they were fasting twice a week. That wasn't really ordained by God, but that's what they instituted as a part of their religion. And they had these expectations for people to fast. Now, again, God is okay with fasting, but there's only once, one time in Scripture where he commanded them to fast. Outside of that, people, it's, it's on their own initiative. And so we see this. And what I want us to understand is it's very easy for us to look at this story and really be critical of the Pharisees, the people that are questioning Jesus. But again, we have the fulfillment of Scripture. Let me just, just bear with me for just a second. We have the fulfillment of Scripture. We can see the beginning all the way to the end. And it's amazing how many people have heard the story or have read details about all the details that we know about Jesus, the coming, that he went to the cross and everything, and they still deny him. 
even with knowing, even with having the fullness of Scripture, there's so many people that reject it. But at this point, they're still trying to figure out who this guy is. Is Jesus really who he says he is or isn't he? But I'm saying, you know, I've been really harsh in this series on the Pharisees. But most likely, many of us, including myself, might have been in that same camp, experiencing the coming of Jesus. And it didn't happen the way before, you know, the fulfillment of Scripture, exactly how people thought. They thought this conquering king was going to come when he comes as an infant. And then he, he dealt with everything by a death, not conquering and, and, and being a part of conquering and killing on the earth. Like we see most kings on how they have success. It would have been challenging. But I also want to key in on this religion police that we can also be religious police. Let's put that to the test. Because I've had many conversations with actually many people in this room about how we should do church. How we should do church. This is a part of the spiritual disciplines coming together, right? So let me just ask some questions. Let's see, let's see where you are. Now I want you to raise your hand, okay? If you're here and you want our worship music louder, raise your hand. Okay? I'm in that group. I don't want to just hear it. I want to feel it. I want it inside me. Okay, who here wants our worship music quieter. All right, there's some hands, okay. I get it. All right, who here, so at the end of Tracy's announcements, or actually at the beginning, she jumps up, take time to meet your neighbor. It's that moment where you have to go and actually engage in a hello. All you got to say is hi or good morning or hello. How many people would love for us to institute that here within our services? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of people. All right, how many people, let me speak to the introverts in the room, how many people say, no, don't do that? If I could hit the ceiling, I would. I'm, I'm reaching, online service, I'm stretching. All right, here's, here, this one might get under your skin. Who here wants us to bring back video teaching? Thank you. This young lady right here, she raised her hand. Mom, you can't put the hand down. She raised it. Let me ask it in a different way. Let me see if I can manipulate it a little bit. What if I were to say, because we're doing live teaching, it's slowing down our growth. And the only way we're going to be able to grow twice, as, twice the size we are currently right now to places like Cedar City that needs a church. St. George, they have some Christian churches, but they need more. And so video teaching would allow us to reach twice as many people as we're, we're reaching right now. Would you be on board with that? Would you raise your hand and saying, yes, every once in a while we'll have video teaching? Okay. Who still says no? <laughs> so what would God's heart say about that? <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. We can be Religion police, because we all think we all have preferences. We all have preferences. We just kind of demonstrated that. But what we can do is we can make it hard or easy, depending on the preferences we choose. Now, I'm with you. Church is like a menu, especially throughout the rest of the country. You can, you'll find the church that's going to feed your appetite for sure. But it's important to understand we all have things that we like about what we do. There might be some things we want to change how we do it. I walk into a service, I was uh, visiting family in Southern California, and I, I go in, and, and, and I, I don't have the right heart, because I'm critiquing them. 
I'm critiquing and I'm going, and it's like, well, oh man, we don't do that meet and greet thing. Thank God we don't do that. <laughs> That's what I said. That wasn't honoring to God. This church loved it. And I was surprised. Their worship music was way too quiet. The pastor got up and said, who here wants our music louder, but we give up things we love for things we love more? I said, that's core value number four for us. We give up things we love for things we love more. And sometimes our personal preferences, God is going to work in this. But again, I want us to be challenged with this first point because we can really impact whether we're really truly helping people pursue God. And it's just not here on Sunday morning. It's how we do small groups. It's everything we do midweek that we can also fall in this category of making it hard for people to come know Jesus. But amen, we talk about it as a staff, so that's a team approach because we, we don't win as individuals. We work as a team is also core value number three. And I love that we have these core values and we want to stay true to them. And so what happens here is these Pharisees implement these twice-a-week regiments these, these list of rules that the people need to do, people see them doing them, and now they can have impact and leadership really over the, the people, and it's demanding because it's a list of rules of what to do, and that's how then they thought they were made right with God. But it's always been about faith. It's always been about faith. So let's look at Jesus' response. He's just been challenged. Jesus, you're not doing it right. Jesus, there's a difference between you and the religious elite. And here's his response. Verse 19, Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. All right, so there's two things here right away. Jesus is communicating up here in the first part of this verse that there's a season not to fast, but he does confirm fasting. He says, but there will be a time when they do fast. And it's unique in, in, in Jesus' imagery. He'd love, to, he'd love to tell these parables, these stories, and connecting the dots. He gives this example of something that many people have experienced, going to a wedding. Going to a wedding is about celebration, now, let me just say, I do believe there's some sorrow and grief, depending on the in-laws and how they view their new son-in-law or how they view their new daughter-in-law. There could be a little bit of that. But what happens at a wedding? There is this ceremony that happens. It's about God to, making two into one. I love that visual. Two into one's not this. Two into one's not this. Two into one is like this, meeting halfway understanding that marriage is going to be hard and there's going to be a lot of opportunity to give into that. But then there's this feast usually at a wedding. If you've ever paid, all the parents in here that have paid for a wedding know how expensive that can be. And then there's dancing. And yes, there might be a little cocktail going on, you know, depending on the wedding party. Not here at the church. We don't allow that. It's just because of the property rules. Outside of that, have fun. But it's interesting that this is this is the picture that Jesus is saying. And he says, you wouldn't go to a wedding and grieve or go to a wedding with sorrow. It is a time for celebration. And think back that throughout the Old Testament, there was this expectation, and you can see it all throughout Scripture, of this anticipation for Jesus' coming. The Savior, the Messiah, he's coming. And there was this great Generation after generation was longing for it. They were looking for it. Well, it is here. 
And the reason why Jesus is saying this is not a time for fasting, this is not the season. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says there's a season for everything. And I love the comparison in Ecclesiastes. It says there's a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to laugh and a time to cry. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This is not the time to fast in grief over sin. This is the time to celebrate because your Messiah is with you. Your Messiah is here, the Savior of the world. I'm here, and rather than being focused on fasting, you should be celebrating this with me. I love that. This is not time for sorrow and grief. This is a celebration. Well, Jesus goes on. Mark 2, 21, he says, Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth leaving even a bigger tear than before. I love this. I spent 25 years before I went into ministry in the drapery industry. Every day of my life, I worked with fabric. I am here to tell you, Jesus knows what he's talking about here with this fabric. And I finally get the stage to talk about fabric. Because you can imagine, I hung drapes every day of my life in some of the most complex things this is not something you do with the gentleman at a poker night to start talking about fabric. <laughs> if I did, they'd say, hey, pick up your purse and please leave. But Jesus is talking about fabric, and he is the all-knowing God, and he knows what he's talking about here. You cannot take something that's been washed, take this new fabric, and sew it together. It's going to destroy it. You're going to be worse off, leaving even a bigger tear than before. Like he's saying, you can't do that. And it's awesome that Jesus didn't come here to just patch our lives. He didn't come here to put a Band-Aid on our life. The word new, he came so that we could have a new life. He came to complete what no one else would be able to do, is to bring healing and complete victory of this new life by going to the cross and dying for us. Now we're going to talk more about that. But if you took claws that were not compatible with one another, and you sewed them together, and this happened in the drapery industry all the time, and then it would hang in front of the sun, and it would go through the hot climate, the cold climate, and I couldn't tell you how many times I had to go fix something or go back to something and try to make fabric, not pucker, not do something that it's not wanting to do, and you're only limited to so much power with fabric. And if you know anything about wool, and this would have been, you know, the sheepskin era, basically from sheep, you, you wash a wool sweater in hot water, it's going to be four sizes smaller. And we can all remember back in the day, the 80s, well, it goes before that. So back in the 50s when you watch a movie, and they was talking about denim, they had to buy denim like 18 inches long because it was going to shrink. But the way to fix that is just roll it up. That wasn't a fashion statement. That was just because it didn't shrink enough, and you had to roll up your pants. And I can remember those years, and then somebody said, hmm, why don't we pre-wash it? Brilliant. Brilliant. No more rolling things up. Now it is a fashion statement. So the young kids today, if you do roll up your pants, it's a fashion statement. But again, that's what Jesus is getting at here, that you would be worse off. You would be worse off putting a patch over this because it's useless and it's going to be destroyed no matter what you do. It's better not to put a patch over the hole. Just leave the hole if it's in your garment. And again, he did not come to patch our lives. He came to bring a new life. 
And he goes on with one more example, and he says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. All right, so I do know there's a lot of hunters in this state, and there's a lot of hunters, so now we're talking about you know, hunting-type details. Maybe you lo- I lost you a little bit there on the fabric comments, but you're back. You're back with me because you kind of understand the, these, these details of what a herd looks like and, and just what the details go into this. And once wine goes into a wineskin and it's used just one time and it ferments and then the gases are released and it expands, you need new wineskins. So as soon as that fermenting is over, the wineskins cannot be reused because the skins on the inner part are brittle and cracked. So you put new wine in there, it's just going to be lost. And what Jesus is saying, he said, this is useless. This is useless. And he's connecting this to fasting. Again, these, these things that were hoarded over people at times to make them feel less spiritual. And what Jesus is getting at here, this is not the time for this. Fasting, you're missing out on the celebration that is right before you. But there is going to be a time because Jesus knew the details of what he was going to do. But he says, don't do these useless rituals in the wrong seasons. There is a season for fasting. Jesus himself said it. When he goes to the cross and gives his life, that's what he was talking about. And yes, the disciples are going to fast. And yes, they're going to start the church. And there was a lot of fasting. And that's exactly the timing it should have been. But Jesus is saying, you're missing out. You're missing out. I am here with you. Celebrate my coming. Celebrate my presence here because God in the flesh is here. And I came to redeem you. I came to give you a new life. And when we have all these rules and these lists, Galatians 5.1 says this, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And here's what these list of rules do. It pulls us back into this yoke of slavery. And Jesus says, I have come to set you free from that. And amen. Jesus says it's not about doing. It's about a relationship. And the way we're made right with God is by believing. Nothing that we do can help our situation, our sin situation, other than surrendering that to Jesus and believing in what Jesus did on the cross. The cross used to be over there. I keep looking for it. The cross is to my left today. This is so important, guys. And maybe you're here and you've been a part of a religion that was just demanding, demanding, and you just felt like a failure all the time that you could never be good enough. Well, the truth is we can never be good enough for God. That's why God had to come, Jesus in the flesh, to go to the cross to die for our sins because we couldn't help our own sin problem. The wages of sin is death, it says in Romans. A death had to pay for the account of our sin, and it couldn't be us. So Jesus takes our place. That's how much God loves you. And he didn't say that now you have to follow all these lists and rules, but he has given us his truth. And I want you to understand that all the commandments are in the Bible because God loves you. He is a loving father in heaven, And he gave us all the do's and don'ts to help. And these are the boundaries we live in. Why do we fast? Because we're expressing our love to God. Why do we obey his commandments? Because we are expressing our love to him. When a child 
is obedient to their mother and father. When they tell their child to do something, their child says, yes, mother, yes, father, I'm going to go do that, and they do it. That is an expression of love from a child to their parents. And in the same way, in our relationship with Jesus, when we do the commands, when we obey and listen and do what God asks us to do, we're not doing it in order to be saved. That's been done. That's over. We've taken care of salvation, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. But now out of an expression of love, why do we read God's word? Expression of love. We want to hear from the Father. Why do we pray? Because the Father wants to hear from us. God wants to hear from us. And so that's an expression of love when we pray and when we read God's word and when we go to small group with one another and as we come and worship one another here. These are all the spiritual disciplines. It's out of love that we do these things. Not this list of rules with these squares that we can check off as we do them because we're going to continue to do them over and over and over. So I want to talk to the believer first in this room that there is a season to fast. There is a time. And maybe for you, as we talk about these religious activities, maybe there's something in your life that you need to bring to God and fasting's it. Meaning there's a sin that you're just stumbling over and over and over again. Well, you need God's help. You need the strength of the Spirit. You need God's leading. And maybe that's an opportunity for you to take a day and just say, I'm going to fast. I'm going to focus on you, God. May I surrender to your heart, to your will, Jesus. And there's many other reasons why we fast. Maybe there's about something that's big in life that's coming up, or there's a medical issue that you have to deal with that you are going to need God for. And you can just take a moment and say, God, I just want to align my thoughts with your thoughts and be okay with whatever the news is. But Lord, I need you. I need you every step of the way. And if you're here and you just have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, understand one thing, that he loves you. He demoed that straight, that love for you by coming and dying for you on the cross. And what he wants you to experience is this new life that he used these new wineskins to kind of relate to, where you will be redeemed and renewed. And you can put your faith in Jesus just by believing that you understand you're a sinner and that he died for your sins because he is God. And you can have victory now in life, a new life that only comes from Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for you, for the love that you've demonstrated to each and every one of us, Lord. We're so grateful that you loved us first. And just the mere fact that we're here, Lord, just tells us we're part of your plan. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you that you didn't make this, that you came and you broke down all the barriers that man had put up between you and us, Jesus. And I pray for those who in the past have maybe tried, tried that demanding list of rules and just kept failing and failing and failing, Lord, because that's what lists do. They expose our sinful nature. They remind us that we're not perfect. But Jesus, you were perfect. And you came because you were the only life that could die for, for my sin and for all the sin in this room, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. And my hope and prayer is that every person here, and I think of our, our kids in our kids' church wing right now that are being taught about you, Jesus, I pray that they would come to know you. 
And I pray that they would just surrender their lives to you. Right now, whatever that hurdle is, whatever that barrier, Lord, I think, I pray through this message, Lord, and you're just reaching down to them, that they feel your presence, that they know that you're there, Lord, and that you died for them. And I pray that they would just come to a place of surrender. I recognize for some people that's challenging. But I pray that they would just release those reins, allow you to be Lord in their life. And for those who have already been walking with you, Jesus, I just pray that we would take from your words here today, that we would leave here. And these words from you, Jesus, would just change us, would just impact the weeks ahead, especially as we lead up to Easter and the opportunity to, to share with more and more people that you put before us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your healing. We thank you that you didn't come to patch our lives, but to bring a new life for each and every one of us, Lord. Thank you for redeeming us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.